Okay, thank you, Eric. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be, get, to be here. I want to thank you for having me. Thank you, Pastor Mitch, for the invitation. And I always want to begin on behalf of City Mission thanking this wonderful church as a family and so many of you as individuals for your partnership with the mission. I tell you, I've been working at the mission now for 31 years, and East Glenville was there when I got there, and it'll be there long after. Well, thank you. So, thank you for that. One of the great joys is partnering with all of you. And, and the mission stories that I'll share today, they belong to all of us as the body of Christ. It is truly a, a team effort. So the, the passage Eric read I, I, is, one, is very intriguing to me and very convicting, because what is the context of it? Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what we want to understand here, these are men that had dedicated their whole lives to studying God. And yet they couldn't recognize him when he was standing right next to them. Now that's convicting, and we got to watch out for that because we are people who study God. we got to be careful lest we think that in studying him, he becomes predictable or we fully understand him, right? Because what we know about God is always infinitely less than what we don't know about him. And we got to watch out that in our growing knowledge, which hopefully is happening, greater intimacy, greater knowledge, we don't think that we have God in a box because God is way beyond that. In the, the novel Les Miserables, one of the key characters is, goes by the name of Bishop Bienvenu. He's this wonderful Christian man, and he's a pivotal character because he's the one that leads Jean Valjean, the hero of the story, to faith in Christ. And in Victor Hugo, in describing the bishop, says this about him. He did not study God. He was dazzled by him. Oh, I love that. Right? We want to make sure we're dazzled by God. And so I can tell you as I stand here, a, a, a sinful, fallen man, I am dazzled by God. And with each passing year, he becomes more dazzling. To, to know Christ, we know, is not a ticket out of heartbreak and struggle. We know that. But it is an invitation to enter a love that has no limits. A love that can completely transform our lives and give us eternal life. Now, having turned 60 this year, I find myself increasingly wrestling with the brevity of life. How good to know, not only intellectually, but in the depth of my being, that in Jesus Christ there is the promise of eternal life. So what I want to do this morning is tell some stories that I think can help us see God. And they're my stories, but I think they apply to all of us. The eminent psychologist Carl Rogers once said, what is most personal is most universal. What does that mean? It means this. That if I were to stand up and tell you, okay, I was born in Rotterdam, I had three brothers, attended Shalmont schools, played a bunch of sports, and then went to Union College, you would say, okay. That's your surface story. I really can't connect with much of that. But if I were to tell you that every day of high school, I struggled with insecurity. I just wanted to fit in. And the greatest fear of my adolescent life was not fitting in, of being marginalized, of not being invited to the table. Then probably everyone here can say, okay, I get that. See, once I dare to move from the surface into the depths of my being, we have a universal connect point. So I want to share a couple stories. One goes back to Shalmont High School. And 
there was a man who worked there. He was a janitor, and he was really quite a character. It was back in the days where all the adults were smoking, maybe not in the building, but once they went outside, the cigarettes were lit up. He always had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He's a bit of a character and kind of would tell these crazy jokes. And he also had trouble. He didn't walk well. He had this kind of funny walk. And what made it funny is he, because he worked on the athletic fields, he would chalk the foul lines in baseball. And because he didn't walk well, the lines were crooked. Now, I remember playing baseball, and we would come to the field before a game, and we were embarrassed, and we would make fun of him that we don't even have straight foul lines. Okay, I knew that was wrong. I grew up in a house where never, never, never an older person. And I knew I was breaking that, but he seemed to justify it. So my senior year, I was playing basketball, and he was the janitor, and so on home games, I would go into the gym early, and he would be the janitor on duty. So it was only me and him in the school. And over the course of a long season, we got to know each other. We actually became friends. In the last home game, he invited me into his office. It was, it was a closet. I remember it had a lot of brooms and a coffee pot. And he sat down, and while he drank a cup of coffee, told me about his life. He told me that when he was 18, World War II was going. He served in the Marines. He went to a place called Iwo Jima. I knew enough history to know that was a horrible place. And he rolled up his pant leg. And I can remember this was 43 years ago. I can remember it like it happened last night. And I saw that his calf had been obliterated by a piece of shrapnel. And he had to walk with a special boot. And that's why he walked that way. I remember sitting there, even as a kind of troubled 17-year-old, saying, oh, wow. I was so wrong. So wrong. I thought he was a joke, and he's a hero. I looked down upon him, and yet he probably did more when he was 18 for his country and for freedom than, than I'll ever do in my whole life. Wow, you sure can be wrong. You gotta watch out if we make decisions based on how things appear. I, I won't say that I never did that from that point, but I, I never stopped thinking about it. How often in life something that looks so good is really not good at all. And something that looks difficult, something that we wish to avoid, can actually hold a treasure. The mission has really taught me that about what is beyond appearances and the good or the bad that lies beneath the surface of things. And there was a man who succumbed to the mission. I tell the story often, but he was a big, scary-looking guy. I don't know how else to describe him. He was about 6'4", just scary-looking. So I tried to always be nice to him from a safe distance. See, that was safe distancing before COVID. And um, our paths crossed a couple times, and... Over the course of a few conversations and a strange turn of events, he came over to her. I brought him over to our house for dinner. And, and Carol was always, because she always wanted the, the men from the mission to come and have dinner. And lo and behold, we, we discovered that this big, scary guy was very thoughtful, intelligent, tender. Really, he was more of a poet than a street man, even though he lived on the streets. He really just fell in love with our boys. He loved them. And they loved him. And they became friends, and 
he began to have a profound influence in their life. He remember him sitting in our living room and him saying to the boys, what's it like to have parents who love you? That must be amazing. I never knew my parents. I grew up in an orphanage. Wow. And he said, what's it like to live in your own house? That must be amazing. I've never lived in a house. And, and what was he doing as he was lifting the boys out of the, the great American trap of this wonderful, wonderful company of ours, but we had this middle-class suburban trap that rather than being astounded with what we have, with what God has given us, we easily look at what other people have and, and begin to wonder why we don't have that too. You naturally move in that, but he, he broke that apart from them. Began to get them to see the wonders of what they had, even though it was simple. A few years ago, a woman wrote a book on the mission called The Light in the Window, and she interviewed my son Michael, who was in college at the time, and asked him his memories of growing up at the mission. And he talked about this man. His name was Al Charles, and he said he was particularly impressed with his generous tipping. He would always leave the biggest tip possible. He would leave everything he had. He told us he did that because the waiters and waitresses lived off that money. He always wants to help people with what little he has. And I remember him sitting there taking this crumpled cash and putting it on the table and saying, boys, don't you ever give 15%. Give her all you can. Give them all you can because your generosity might allow her to buy a toy for her child or pay her bills. And these boys who didn't get essence of tipping got the fact that they knew he was poor, they knew he lived on the streets, and they saw that crumpled cash go on the table and it struck them. And, and my son said this, he says he's learned some valuable lessons from Al Charles. I never heard him say anything negative about anyone. He remembers everything that has ever been done for him. He doesn't have a lot of money. He has multiple cirrhosis. He has no family, but he is always positive very inspiring to think that he can stay so positive through all of that. He has taught me you should try to keep a great attitude no matter what happens to you in life. And when that book came out, Al Charles was dying in a real crummy nursing home. And I went to visit him and at this point he was blind and paralyzed. And he was laying in bed, but he could hear. And I got to read those paragraphs to him. And, and the tears just poured out of his eyes, down his cheeks. And I said, Al Charles, how can I ever thank you for what you did for us? I'll never be able to say thanks because you taught my boys how to be grateful. So, so what's the lesson? Who could have known that this big, scary guy held the greatest treasure I think I ever was able to give my sons besides loving them, besides knowing Christ? The treasure came in the form of this broken down man from the streets. Rick Guidotti, the world-renowned fashion photographer who now has a program of capturing the beauty of people with disabilities, says this, change how you see, then see how you change. And those are powerful words. We want to make sure, no matter how long we've been walking with the Lord, that we're always evolving how we see, because the Lord is always moving. He is dynamic, not static. Another story, a 
few years ago, I was walking from the Family Life Center at the Mission, coming around the corner up Hamilton to our office building, and I looked down Hamilton's Clinton Street as it makes its way to Broadway, and I saw a pile of something, and I was pretty sure it was just some bags of clothes, so I kept on walking, took a few more steps, and said, ah, was that clothes? And, and, and I looked, and nah, it was a guy laying on the ground, and there was a woman in a wheelchair next to him, and I said, oh, I better go down there. So I go down there, and this guy's laying face down on the sidewalk, and I, I get down, I, I get down on one knee, and he looks up at me, his face is covered in blood, and he's a guy that I know, a guy who used to live at the mission, a friend of mine, I knew he had neuropathy in his feet, and his feet had given out, and he just kind of did a face-first fall into the sidewalk, and I felt bad, but the ambulance was coming, and my biggest fear was that I couldn't stop, I couldn't give him anything to stop the blood. Just at that time, a man pulled up on a bicycle with a backpack, and he said, can I help? I said, well, the ambulance is coming, but do you have anything in your backpack I can use to wipe his face? He goes, oh, yeah. He unzipped the bag, and he pulled out this beautiful cream-colored scarf. I remember it was so beautifully folded, and he handed it to me. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah, well, please, take it. He gave it to my friend. He put it in his face, and stopped the blood, and the ambulance came, the paramedics did their amazing work, and off he went. The man on the bike then said, is there anything else I need, you need? I said, no, but thank you, thank you so much for sharing your scarf like that. He smiled, he said, oh, no big deal, I've been helped at the mission. And I realized what he was saying. He was saying, my story is that when I was down and out, other people help me. So when I encounter someone who's down, I stop and I help them. And I thought, you know, we all go through life every day with our bag of our stuff. And that, that's okay. It's good to have stuff. It's good to have a bag of your stuff. The, the fundamental question, though, as followers of Jesus, is the bag open or is it zip tight? Because it's very easy to keep it zipped and, and live a fearful life of someone and get what I have. But if we really get the fact of what Jesus has done for us, of the grace we have received, of the mercy that has been stowed upon us, of the gratuitous love that has transformed our lives, then when I go it every day, that back is always unzipped. And I'm always looking, I'm listening, trying to discover ways in which what I have in that bag might be a blessing to somebody else. It's a fundamentally different paradigm of how we go through our days. And that man on the bike taught me that. Thomas Merton says this in talking about the paradox of the kingdom of heaven. He says, the banquet of the kingdom of heaven is a feast in which we are nourished by serving others rather than by feeding ourselves. Let me say that again. See, God has a feast in front of us every day, and he wants us to receive it and be nourished and be strengthened. But the way we gain that nourishment is we serve others. We don't run to the table to get our place. Right? you got to trust that. Is it true? I've heard it say, the only things you get to take to heaven are the things you give away. There's a man who used to attend this church years ago. Now he lives out of town. He's a good donor to the mission. He's one of my favorite people. And he occasionally would send a really generous gift to the mission. And one he sent just had this note attached. Mike, it's God's money. 
Use it wisely. I'm just the bookkeeper. <laughs> that is, what a great comment that is, right? Not looking for any fanfare. What was he telling me? It was never mine to begin with. It was always God's, but you take seriously what's been entrusted to you because it's not yours either. And use it wisely. Right? When we embrace the truth of the kingdom of God, then opening our bags become a source of freedom and joy. Even life itself becomes a part of what we are able to give away. Another story, I had the enormous privilege of working for about 10 years at City Mission with a man named Larry Lonzak. And some of you may have known Larry. Larry was just a powerhouse for the Lord. He wasn't particularly educated. He wasn't trained in mission work, but he was a force there. And he was one of the most fruitful people I've ever worked with. Now, for all his virtues, and he had many, what he also had was the worst sense of direction of anybody I ever met. I got, one time he got lost picking a guy up in Scotia. I said, Larry, there's no turns. How could you do this? So we had this running joke that if, he, if a guy was in the van with him, I would run up to the van, open the wind, have him open the window and say, do you have a map? Because Larry's going to get lost. I'm just warning you, he's going to get lost. Well, sadly, Larry was afflicted with cancer. And after a long, courageous battle, he died. It was a great blow. And I remember coming back to the mission being told that Larry died last night. And it was heartbreaking. And I went up to my office and just closed the door and sat there. A couple minutes later, I got a phone call from downstairs and they said, Mike, there's, there's a package here for you. Can you come downstairs? I made my way downstairs and there was this big bouquet of roses. And there was a card attached. And here's what the card said. Mike, I didn't get lost. I'm resting in the arms of Jesus. And And I realized that his bag was so open for Christ, which is what made him so effective at the mission, that even his own death at a young age, became an opportunity to bless. And somehow in those last days, he thought, this is going to be hard for Mike. How do I help him? How do I make sure he keeps the right perspective? And So I've had this card now for 14 years. And I try to look at it every day. Get my own perspective right. Yeah, I've come to understand that when we're okay with losing something, we have a heightened capacity to enjoy it. Yes, we should enjoy the good things of life. I think that's one of the mark of a follower of Jesus is we know how to enjoy the good things of life. It's a gift from our Heavenly Father. I remember my father had a great buddy, Lebanese guy, larger-than-life personality. I went out to lunch with him one time, and he was just having a feast. And I said, boy, you really love food, don't you? He goes, Mike, I suck the marrow out of the bone. And I think we should suck the marrow out of the bone of the good things that our Father gives us. But once we allow those things to define us, once we begin to cling to them, the enjoyment is diminished. 
So I have a saying I've come to believe. You can't really enjoy a steak dinner until you know you'll be just as happy with a bowl of rice. What do I mean by that? Because if I need steak every night, I really can't enjoy that meal because even as I'm eating it, I'm thinking, what about tomorrow? Will will tomorrow be there? But if it doesn't matter if every meal is a feast provided by a loving Heavenly Father, then when something special comes, I can savor every bite. I can enjoy the good things of life as long as I don't feel I have to have them. In the last couple stories... Fyodor Dostoevsky, the the great Christian Russian novelist of the 19th century, wrote The Brothers Karamazov, Crime and Punishment. He said this, The world will be saved by beauty. You know, I've come to believe that's true, especially in our culture right now where there is so much polarization. I don't think we're going to be able to change the world with apologetics, although that has its place. I don't think we're going to be able to change it with articulation of truth, although that has its place. But beauty transcends division. Beauty can be irresistible. I've seen that at the mission. In the summertime, we hold our chapel service outside under the pavilion. And it's a mixed bag. On the downside, it's really loud. Uh, We're right next to the main fire station. You're always going to have a hook and ladder go by. There's a lot of noises. There are dogs barking. People cut through the service. Uh, Cars can be really loud. Motorcycles come, and it's harder to hear. But on the plus side, people join the service who aren't part of the mission. And when you have it inside, they don't know what's going on. But when you're under a pavilion, people who weren't intending to come can come because they hear the music. I remember seeing one night where one day we're singing and this woman who lives in the housing project across the street, she was pulled her wheelchair up, she parked it, and she was just clapping along with the music. And I said, oh, I love outdoor chapel. Well, one day at part of the chapel service, we have this testimony. This woman who's not part of the mission stood up at testimony time. And she said, I've been clean for five years by the grace of God. And that always gets a great round of applause, right? As people celebrate the great gift of recovery, breaking free from the addiction that's held them bondage. Then she paused. And she said, "Um, I used to walk the streets. She paused again. I think she was summoning the courage to be more direct. And she said, "Um, I was a prostitute, but now I walk with Jesus. And the place burst into applause, and people just rushed up to pray for her, to put their hands on her, to give her encouragement. I remember sitting there going, we win. We win. A faith that beautiful cannot lose the stunning, dazzling beauty of God's mercy, grace, and love. It's unstoppable. Be not afraid. We win. Amen. And so in closing, last story, I've seen that a lot of our graduates who work at the mission who can't lean on academic training or professional resume, 
Uh, they get out front on beauty because it's what they have to offer. More so than those of us that have a little more training and sophistication. But there's a man who wanders the streets of Schenectady. He's pretty disabled. He does live in his own place, but he's just, he just wanders the streets. He's really a lost soul. And um, he comes by the mission regularly, gets treated pretty well. But one day he showed up very dirty. In fact, he had soiled himself. And one of our graduates who was on duty brought him in and gave him a shower and, and bathed him, made sure he was really clean, and helped dry him off and brought him into the clothing room and gave him new clothes. And I thought, you know, when we build a new building, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's good. But when we bathe the neediest person in town, Jesus says, you've done it to me. That is the greater thing. Buildings are good. They have their place. They can even be beautiful. But loving, humble service in the name of our wonderful Savior is the beauty that will save the world. Let's pray. Lord, it's so easy to condemn the Pharisees who studied you and couldn't even recognize you. And yet, Lord, if we're honest, we've stood in their shoes. And you've been in our midst and we missed you because you weren't what we expected. So, Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would study you passionately, fervently, regularly, that we would submit to good teaching to come to know you better, but that we would always, in knowing you, always leave more room for you to work. Lord, fill our hearts with good knowledge, but even more so, fill our hearts with wonder of the great God we serve. And I pray, Lord, for the good brothers and sisters in this church, in addition to our study and even our worship of God, we would never cease to be dazzled by you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.